and welcome to another episode of The Hammer, a baseball umpire podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Weber. In this episode, we do an umpire spotlight on Hall of Fame umpire Bill Clem. Our rules segment focuses on the new National Federation of High School designated hitter rule. I give you my takes on the just-concluded World Series and the should-not-have-been-controversial Game 6 Runners Lane interference call. So sit back and listen to another episode of The Hammer. So for today's Umpire Spotlight, we're looking at Hall of Fame umpire Bill Clem. He was a National League umpire from 1905 to 1941. His Hall of Fame plaque reads, Known as the Old Arbiter, umpired in 18 World Series, credited with introducing arm signals indicating strikes and fair or foul balls. Famous quote, Baseball is more than a game to me, it's a religion. So after the 1940 season, he retired from um, umpiring, and for 10 years he was uh, Chief of National League Umpires until he retired permanently in 1951. He came up with a few other inventions as well um, during his 37 years on the diamond. He was the first umpire to wear a chest protector. Um, and of course, as we said, the first to use visible arm signals. And the main reason he did that is he said, you know, whether you're sitting in the box seats or way up in the bleachers, you're entitled to know what a guy's calling out there on the bases or behind the plate. So, you know, they can, you can always see signals. You can't always hear someone's voice, even if they are particularly loud. He is always one for quotes. His quote is saying, your job is to umpire for the ball and not the player. And uh, he was uh, definitely respected throughout his career. Um, he was known for being willing to throw out anybody if he had to, including somebody like Christy Mathewson. If they um, were out of line, he threw them out in a 1904 game. Um Clem was uh, also um, this first and kind of second, I guess you can say they're a tie, with uh, Tom Conley. They were the first two umpires elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And um, the main thing with him is he, he worked but the plate for the first 16 years of his career. He always worked the plate because supposedly he was so good at it, and he must have been. Some of you plate dodgers out there, you might uh, find that quite amazing, but he did that, and he taught people how to work the plate. He basically kind of invented working the slot behind, between the catcher and the batter. And he, he told people to fix your eye on the ball from the moment the pitcher holds it in his glove and then follow it as he throws it to the plate and stay with it until the play is completed. Action takes place only where the ball goes. And that's, um, that's umpiring now too, you know? Keep your eye on the ball. Your eye forever on the ball, right? That's what they, they teach you. So... Um, Definitely one of the great early umpires that kind of uh, uh, was an innovator of the game. Um, originally, Major League Games had one umpire, and then uh, then they finally went to two, and it wasn't until the 1950s that they went to the four-man crew. Um, and, of course, he was one of the innovators that used, like, the um, inside protector, and that's why the National League kind of went that direction um, in his tenure as well. So that's uh, Bill Clem for our umpire spotlight. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. 
The ultimate never done that can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Well, the World Series concluded last night with uh, another seven-game series. We've had quite a few of them this past ten years. Um, I thought it was pretty entertaining and pretty exciting. Interesting that um, for the first time in any major sports, um, the visiting team won all the all the games. So um, nobody would have thought that, that's for sure. Um, I, I, at first, I thought the Nationals were going to take it, you know, in less than seven games, and then once the... The Astros stormed back at them. I thought that they were definitely going to be in some trouble because usually whatever team wins uh, game five and makes it three games to two, 80% of the time through the um, through the years, um, through 64 teams of baseball at least, 80% of the time the team that goes up 3-2 wins the World Series. So obviously the, um, the odds were stacked against the Nationals, but they were a gritty team. A little bit of a throwback in some ways um, to teams of the past that, you know, just, you know, get base hits and get things done, get on base, take extra bases, do the things that they have to do to win ball games and not just always rely on the long ball, which is about what what, with what Houston did. Speaking of the umpiring, because, you know, we are on an umpiring podcast, um, I thought overall it was a, a very well-officiated um World Series. Um, I know there's lots of people complaining about different things. Um, I specifically, in a, in a few moments, will talk about my views on the um, on the game uh, game six situation in the seventh inning with the uh, runners lane interference call. Um, but um, yeah, you know, again, when we have the strike zone that is projected by Fox or any other network on the uh, screen there. Everybody seems to act like, especially non-umpire type people, seem to act like it's the end-all, be-all strike zone, that it's 100% accurate, it's got you know exactly where it's supposed to be at the top and the bottom and, and the sides, and that if that pitch you know is in or outside of that spot and it's not called whatever way it's supposed to be, then the umpire's wrong. And of course, we all know, even at the levels that we work, I don't know, some of you out there work higher levels than me, but at least at the levels I work, I mean, pitches, you know, zoom in and out of a, a, a zone. Don't, don't have to go all the way through. It's not a flat plane like seem, some people seem to think. Um, you know, it's like a, a cylinder of some sort or like a box almost. So, you know, especially like Garrett Cole, some of his pitches, they move so much. I mean, you see catchers moving all over. You know, they're lined up almost on the on the chalk line of a on the left-handed box, and it moves all the way back in and catches the whole corner like half the ball does so we know that i mean yeah were there a few pitches here and there missed yeah but you know we're all human and, and that's what happens but i thought they did um an excellent an excellent job and, and wolf on, on the last game he, he was he was great i mean yeah there was a couple pitches but i thought he did a wonderful job and and deserved to be in that spot i mean that's everybody's dream i guess right you know to work game seven of the world series i don't know what game would be in bigger than that so and he was right there and, and very calm and collected. And, you know, his timing was great from start to finish. From Even in that last inning, I was noticing his timing. And he was, you know, just the same kind of pace that he had in the first inning and kept it up the whole game. 
So um, I thought he did a wonderful job. You know, the games weren't decided by the umpiring, as people seem to think. Um, you know, they were decided by the players and and what they were able to or not able to do. So, um, you know, the guys earned their right to be there, and I thought that they they did a nice job. And I, you know, like I'm sure lots of you, I, I'm always watching the umpires and seeing the little things that they do, um, seeing how they do the rotation, seeing where they take a play at first base um you know obviously we're watching the the plate umpire to see what kind of mechanics he's using and and how you know his timing is and how he goes about getting in the slot or whatever it is that we're looking for so um yeah they they did a great job we know that those guys work hard and it's been a long road to just get to the big leagues and a long road to get to the world series as well so they certainly deserve it but um yeah i've got a few takes on the um the the runners lane in, in, interference call, um, and you know, I'll, I'll tell you what I, I'll tell you what I think about that. All right, so I've got to mention something about the game six runners lane interference call that Sam Holbrook got. 100% correct. Um, I can't believe the media firestorm on all the social media outlets that took place after the game. To me, Dave Martinez's ejection was one of the most ridiculous ejections in maybe World Series history, on all of World Series history, because he was ignorant and didn't know the rule. Trey Turner ran the entire way in fair territory. Not one time did he step into, with either foot, into the runner's lane the last 45 feet. He definitely interfered with the throw, and it was 100% the right call. It's the kind of call that if you're being evaluated, either high school or collegiately, and somebody's there watching you, and you had to play just like that, and you didn't make it, you're not moving up because it's not the right, you know, you don't know what you're doing. It's not the right call. You got to make that call. You got to have the the guts to make it, the courage and confidence to make it. Um, And people complain, oh, you don't see a call that much. Well, if he makes a little bit better throw, then he's out and you don't have to call it. But the throw is good enough. I mean, it does have to be, you know, a, a good enough, a true throw. I mean, if he sails it over his head, then obviously that's on him. But that wasn't the case. It definitely was a good enough throw to get him out, and he interfered with it. And the players are so ignorant about this rule. And people talk about putting in, like, the orange base. Okay, well, maybe they'll start running toward the base. But even so, you still have to run within the runner's lane. You can't zigzag back and forth in the in the in the grass of the infield when there's a throw that's somewhere in front of the mound, whether it be the pitcher, third baseman, first baseman, or catcher throwing it. I'm sure 100 plus years ago, somebody did that, you know, guys laying down bunts back in the dead ball era and trying to get in the way of the throw. And that's why they put in the rule. Because if you don't have it there that you have to run within your lane, that's what they're going to do. Because baseball players try to cheat the rules the best that they can to get away with things. That's kind of the name of the game. So it's the correct rule, it's the correct ruling, the rule should not be changed, 
I guess if you want to add an orange base or something to make it easier for a grown man to run straight between a three, two um, lines that are three feet apart, you can do that. But otherwise, um, I, I can't believe that there's so much ignorance in the baseball community about what the rule is when it was a very simple call. Anyway, that's my rant about that and uh, my take on the Game 6 supposed uh, controversy that really wasn't a controversy. So now it's time for our rules segment, and today we're going to take a look at the changes to the NFHS, the National Federation of High School rules, uh, to the designated hitter. DH rule is different. It's really the only rule that they changed with their committee um, back in June. And uh, basically, they're as always with these high school rules, they're trying to make it so that more players can possibly get into the game. That's kind of what their MO is most of the time. So this does that, but it is definitely um, a little more confusing at first. There's a little more scenario to it. And um, I wouldn't say it's as complicated at all as the NCAA designated hitter rule, but it's moving in that direction. So you're going to want to study up a little bit on this if you work high school games and um, make sure you're familiar with it. Um, for NCAA games, I made myself a laminated card, um, you know, with really small typeface on it that I printed out of the rule book. And you might want to do something similar for high school. Um, you know, especially if you think you might have a little trouble remembering things because it's certainly something that you don't want to mess up um, you know here in Michigan we don't have protests for high school games but it's not something you want coming down on you um, if it is misapplied for sure um, but anyway uh, so the designated rule the, the change to rule 314 that's the rule it provides a, um, like an extra scenario in which a, a designated hero may be used okay so the starting designated hitter may now also be a starting defensive player as listed in the starting lineup presented to the opposing team in the, in the you know, plate umpire during the pregame plate meeting. So teams that utilize this option will have one player in the lineup listed with two positions. So one of the nine defensive positions and the designated hitter. Uh, this may include any of the nine defensive positions on the field and is not confined to just the pitcher. Okay, so teams using this scenario would they begin the game with a lineup featuring nine starters, nine defensive players, one of whom is also the designated hitter. And this kind of differs from the traditional use, you know, of the DH at the high school level. Uh, like in that scenario, remember, um, it, it, which remains an option, the DH is listed as the 10th starter who hits for any one of the nine defensive players. You can still do that. But now teams will have the option of not using a designated hitter and batting a straight lineup of nine players, okay? Um, so where things get a bit tricky with a new designated hitter or rule is with substitutions. So the role of the defensive player in this dual role may be substituted for by any legal substitute. So once that occurs, the original player or designated hitter may re-enter as a defensive player one time. However, the role of the designated hitter is terminated for the remainder of the game when a substitute or a former substitute for the defensive role subsequently participates in an offensive role 
or the starting defensive player designated here is substituted for either a as a hitter or a runner. So this is a major difference with the traditional designated hitter scenario in which a substitute may replace a designated hitter as a hitter or runner and the designated hitter may re-enter the lineup one time and maintain his designated hitter status. All right. So um, there's some scenarios that uh, I've seen run through online uh, for this. Um, so, for example, let's say um, you know a team uses um, a player as a designated hitter. We'll go with Daniels. That's usually our standard thing. So Daniels is in the, as a starting designated hitter and the starting first baseman, and he's in the number four spot in the lineup. So this is uh, legal. Uh, a player can now be listed as the starting in the starting lap as one of the nine defensive positions and a designated hitter. All right. So another scenario. Uh, team lists Daniels as the starting designated hitter and the starting first baseman in the number four position in the lineup. But in the fourth inning, let's say Jackson um, comes off the bench and substitutes uh, as the first baseman. And then in the fifth inning, Daniels comes to bat in the fourth position. And then in the sixth inning, Daniels re-enters defensively as a first baseman. This is legal now, okay? As the role of the defensive player has been, you know, substitute, substituted for by a legal substitution. While the DH uh, role remains intact. And, the, you know, the original defensive player or doesn't a hitter. They're allowed to um, one re-entry on defense because they're a starter, okay? Another scenario, let's say. Uh, team lists, let's say, Daniels as the starting designated hitter and the starting first baseman in the number four position in the lineup. Then in the fourth, uh, Jackson substitutes as the first baseman. And then in the fifth, Jackson comes to bat in the fourth position. That's illegal now. And the role of the DH is terminated for the remainder of the game, however. So, you know, even though Daniels still has reentry rights, he may reenter any defense position and may replace Jackson as the number four hitter in the lineup. Okay. Uh, hopefully you see that this can be a little confusing. I'm going to have to kind of run through these. Um, talk with your fellow umpires about these kinds of, of situations. Uh, maybe in your association meetings as well. And make sure everybody's on the same page. I'll, I'll run through a couple more uh, potential scenarios here. So let's say a team lists uh, Daniels as a starting DH. And starting first baseman in the four spot. That's what we keep doing. In the top of the fifth, Daniels hits a single, and Jackson you know, runs for him as a pinch runner. Then in the bottom of the fifth, Daniels continues to play first base on defense. But in the sixth, Daniels comes to bat again in the number four spot. That's legal. Okay. So once Jackson enters as an offensive substitute for Daniels, the role of the DH is terminated. However, Daniels still has re-entry rights, and he may re-enter at any defensive position and may replace Jackson as the number four hitter in the lineup. That's a little like the NCAA rule. There's, you know, there's some similarities there. Okay. Another scenario here. Uh, team lists Daniels as a starting DH and uh, in the number four position in the lineup, and Jackson as a starting first baseman in the number ten position. Let's say this is legal, as the DH may still be a tenth hitter for any position. You know, any one of the nine starting defensive positions. Okay, or defensive players, really. All right. Uh, another scenario, uh, Daniels uh, is the designated hitter in the fourth spot in the lineup, and Jackson is a starting first baseman in the 10th spot. In the fifth inning, Jackson comes to bat in the fourth spot. That's legal. 
Jackson's allowed to pinch hit, and the role of designated hitter is terminated for the remainder of the game. All right? And then maybe we can do one more here. Uh, let's see. Um, we have, like, Daniels as a starting DH at the number four position in the lineup, and Jackson as a starting first baseman in the 10th spot. Uh, in the fifth, Daniels replaces Jackson as the first baseman. That's legal because Daniels is allowed to play a defensive position and the role of the DH is terminated for the remainder of the game. However, Jackson still has re-entry rights as a starter and may either pinch it or pinch run for Daniels and he may also re-enter on defense. So as you can see, you, you, we all need to familiarize ourselves with this rules um, if we work high school games. Um, it's not quite as clear cut as the old DH rule used to be. Um, I think it's a good thing because um, there's more possibilities for players to get into the game. But obviously, with it being a little more complicated, it's definitely going to be a little bit easier to um, to mess it up. So we don't want to do that. We want to be on top of those kind of things. So make sure you study up on those when you get your new rule books. And um, the best thing to do as well is to um, talk to your, your umpire colleagues and people in your association and talk through different scenarios. You know that for state associations... Um, they're going to have questions about this on their test. You, you know that's coming down for sure. So be ready for it. All right. And that is our look at uh, our rule for this week, the new high school DH rule. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Hammer. I appreciate you sticking with me and listening. If you'd like to give me some feedback, I would really appreciate that. What kind of things would you like to hear? Are you an uh, amateur umpire, professional umpire? Um, what level are you at? Uh, what topics would you like me to cover? You can reach out to me in three different ways for sure. One is send me an email at spinalfusion06 at yahoo.com. Another one is tweet me. My uh, Twitter handle is at Kevin R. Weber, one being Weber. Or you can leave me a voicemail, but you've got to either do it through the Anchor app or go to their website, have an account, like my show, and then you can leave me a voicemail that's 60 seconds or less. Um, maybe you just have a question or a comment. Maybe there's something in there that you'd like me to use on the show. I very likely will, so be aware of that. Um, I'm looking to set up some interviews with umpires I know. I've got one coming up soon with Tim Farwig, who is a Division I umpire uh, down in Indiana. And he's going to be talking about a variety of things. But one thing in particular is he's going to give his uh, comments and take on the new 22nd NCAA rule. Because he's had a little work with that in the fall and has some ideas about that. And I've got several other umpires in the area that I work and live uh, that will also be joining me on the show in the future. So please look for that. If you have any suggestions on umpires that you think I should try to get in contact with, um, again, contact me and let me know. Uh, until then, keep calling strikes.